Hello, everyone. This is Marcin Drost. Welcome to another podcast with The Game. Today, we are joined by Ashley Han, and Ashley is an online branding, marketing strategist, coach, author, and world traveler. Now, what really caught my attention about Ashley is that she is one of those rare people that in the early 2010s actually understood the potential with social media, marketing, being able to realize the necessity for having your own brand. And she did that as an entrepreneur within a company that was one of the Mark Cuban companies that was on Shark Tank. And while she was there, she grew that company, helped it grow over 500% in the first year and made it one of the fastest growing companies. Now today, she's the founder of Ashley Hand Branding and Consulting. She's got a beautiful arrangement with an online marketing agency, and she helps brand and amplify and helps people really monetize their websites. So Ashley, welcome to the game. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. You know, we planned on doing this a few months ago, and then obviously COVID happened and the world happened. And, you know, it's actually serendipitous that we're now talking because we really wanted to hone in on this, this podcast with your ability to help people really dominate their personal brand in a post-COVID world. So before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, How did you get started? How did it all happen for you? Well, I always knew, like, even right out of college, I wanted something that I could charge, like I could lead, I would be autonomous, I would have freedom. Freedom is one of my core values. So I need to be experiencing freedom to grow, to learn, to become an expert at something. So that's why that Mark Cuban company, Tower Paddleboards, it was a startup. I mean, obviously, it was growing rapidly already. And then I jumped in and I got to really, really get my hands dirty. And that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted mm. to take a startup type dynamic environment and really be a pivotal, essential, critical component to growing the company, right? Mm. That's what I wanted. Um, I didn't want to do the corporate thing. I got an offer to work at Microsoft. I was like, ah. Like, I love Microsoft. I do. Yeah. Um, I did do some projects for them, but I wanted something like messy that I could get dirty and like really dynamic and fast paced. So I did that. And that was a foundational period for me. I mean, without that, I would not be who I am today. Mm. I learned so much. If I wanted to be an expert, like at Amazon selling, you know, I took that from doing two to 3,000 a month to over 250,000 a month, you know, within wow. less, I think that was, yeah, that was less than a year. Um, it was probably like six months time that it took to get to that point. And so just being able to really create impact, right? That gets me excited. So that's what really drew me to Tower. And I mm -hmm. do like structure. I like to create order from chaos. That's something I'm, I'm really passionate about. So I worked for a corporate company after that. And I only lasted probably seven <laughs> months. It was a $100 million holding company in the financial services industry, actually. Okay. A totally different industry, you know, go from sexy paddleboarding fitness type industry, right, with Mark Cuban to, you know, this financial services industry. And what I did there, though, is I finally perfected my craft when it came to Facebook ads, believe it or not. I worked for the corporate company for probably seven months. I created a program, a social advertising program for them that I had to fight for, like, when you work at a corporate company, you got to go to this person. There's a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just do something. It wasn't like tower that way. Mm -hmm. I had to present a case. I had to create projections. So I did that. And I said, hey, look, this is how many loans I think you're going to, leads for loans. It was a loan company that you mm -hmm. can get per week, per month um, from doing this, right? This is the CPA, the cost per acquisition. And so I presented it and I soared past my projections. 
it became the third largest channel in the entire company. So I presented it to the board one day and I knew, I talked to my dad and I knew I was out on a balcony having this conversation at my apartment in downtown San Diego. And I said, dad, I perfected my craft. I don't want to work for corporate. I want to do my own thing. Freaking scared. (laughs) And I just start bawling because my dad never tells me what to do. He's always just like, trust yourself, take a leap. You know what you need to do. Take a leap of faith. And I just start bawling because I know that I've got to leave this high, well-paying, full benefits, awesome team, by the way, that I'm going to leave them to pursue and enter the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. That by myself. Yeah. So that was very scary for me, but I did it. I presented to the board. And that day that I presented to the board, I quit. (laughs) That me presenting to the board was for me that like, that, okay, that's it. It really was the push for me. Like that they had me present in front of their whole entire board was huge. And I'd only worked there for seven months. Wow. So yeah, so then that's when I started my own company and I have not looked back since. When was that? When was the transition from Tower to the uh, big corporate to Ashley Hand Incorporated? You know, Ashley Hand started with Omni Media Marketing. That was what my agency was. Gary Vaynerchuk was the one who told me, you need to trash Omni Media and you need to step into the light, Ashley, own who you are, own your brand. Trash Omni Media, you're now Ashley Handbranding Consulting. That was Gary. Gary told me to name it Ashley Handbranding Consulting. The timeframes, I, well, I worked at Tower for two and a half years, and that was right out of college. I'm, by the way, I'm not the best with dates. Um, I do know that after, so right after two and a half years out of college, I then worked straight away for the corporate company from there. And I only lasted seven months, and I started Omni Media with actually a partner who I ended up buying out in late 2014. I love to hear the first you know, 30 days of starting your business compared to what you thought the first 30 days would look like. Maybe walk us through that. And you know what I mean, right? Because you have this plan <laughs> yeah. and then life and business happens, right? So I, what did that first couple of weeks look like? Like, how did you move forward? How did you deal with everything? Well, for anyone listening who is looking to do this and create your own path as an entrepreneur, there are two things I'm going to say about it. Yes, a plan is important. But don't get rigidly attached to your plan and don't be a perfectionist about your plan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because the world of entrepreneurship, change is the game. Reinvention is the game. Shape shifting, flexibility, that's the game. I've coached students in my mastermind course who are like, oh, I got to have it planned perfectly. Like, I've got to plan, 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 plan. I'm like, girl, <laughs> that, that's not, I have a lot of, a lot of female students. That's not going to support you because then you're going to be so rigidly attached to that. You're actually not going to see opportunities that come your way that actually end up opening really big doors for you. Mm -hmm. So for me, I didn't have a plan to the T. So I didn't have it like rigidly planned out, but I did. And this is my second tip is I did line up clients. So that's important. I had two people. One was a firm yes. One was like, I'm waiting for you to quit that job because I'm going to hire you to be a pub. So I was a Facebook advertiser or Mm -hmm. publisher. And so he was ready to hire me. And I already knew, I knew like about that position. We had met for coffee. So I was ready and prepared to dive into that. The other Mm -hmm. client was like a 90%, 80% yes. Mm -hmm. So I had clients lined up. And that's the other important thing. If you have clients lined up, that's great. Don't be rigidly attached to any plan that you create. 
So that's what happened. And then I ended up that client that I said where I had met up with coffee, I ended up being a pub for about only lasted two months because it wasn't fulfilling to me. But I made a lot of money during that time. I went to a family reunion trip and I was making like without touching my computer, like I was rolling in like $500, $600 a day. And some weeks I would be making like $7,000 per week. And other weeks I'd be making two or three K a week, whatever. But it was really lucrative. It just wasn't fulfilling. And mm. I had to walk away from that. What I continued to do instead was that other client, which I told you he was ready to hire me. Mm-hmm. That's when I really stepped into websites and social media. And that was way more fulfilling for me. What were some of the unexpected challenges that you had in the first year of starting your own business? Because you know, there's always things you understand you're going to have to work through, like finding clients, figuring out your messaging. But what were some of the things that happened where you thought, hmm, wasn't expecting that? Well, A, I thought I could do it alone. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. a big one. The most successful entrepreneurs are the ones that know they're worthy of support and they aren't afraid to ask for it or invest in it. I have a lone wolf tendency. I don't know if anyone listening can relate to I don't know if you can, hmm. but I tend to be a lone wolf. Like, oh, I'll just do everything myself. That doesn't work. I, it will for so long. And then you're either burnt out, exhausted, or you're not scaling as quickly as you could. The second thing is I had a big, and I learned this lesson now three times in different ways, partnerships. So I'd mentioned briefly that, remember I had a part owner of my Omni Media. Well, I did not do my research on this person. I let my um, excitement, if you're like an excited, ambitious person, you can get like excited about things and they present to you and you're like, ah, yeah. Especially a partnership is like a marriage. I mean, that's a serious thing. And so I didn't look at it so serious. I was like, oh, sure, let's partner. That was a big learning lesson for me. And that partnership crashed and it created some drama. And then I had a second partnership about a year or two later that did the same thing in a different way, totally different type of circumstance. But for me, my big lesson is to really know who I'm getting into business with, like really Mm -hmm. know them and trust my gut because I didn't trust my gut on that second partnership. I had the gut feeling and I still went in and did a partnership with that person anyways. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because when you, when you think of a partnership, I, uh, I I had uh, an entrepreneur once tell me partnerships are like sinking ships. And I said, no, no, no. (laughs) I asked him what was the biggest lesson he learned. That's what he said to me. I said, no, no, no. Like, and when you think back, I mean, whether it's your current partnerships or past partnerships, the ones that last, you know, you have alignment and that's the component of appreciating and understanding who you're getting into business with, because not everybody is thinking things of the same way you are. When you learn that, when you're already down the path, correcting that path is much more difficult. You're going to have to course correct many times, but this is one thing that I will tell you, like alignment. I love that you said alignment because Mm -hmm. that is very, and you can feel alignment. And if you're not sure and you're having trouble feeling it, then write out your values and really check in. Like I'm actually super picky about who I go into business with now. Mm -hmm. Of course, yes, it's partly from the lessons. And it's also because I'm really being true to my core values. And core values are really important. I suggest anyone listening to this, really write those out if you haven't already. You know, your top four or five and use that as a guide to support you in your business decisions. So what are some examples of core values that would be relevant for a partnership? For example, for me, integrity is a really big one. So yes, integrity with me, but if I hear or see that this person even tells like a little white lie, you know, like Mm -hmm. a little white lie 
or I see that they've promised something, said they're going to be somewhere and they didn't show up, mm-hmm. things like that, like that's in my top three. Mm-hmm. And so if I see that someone is a flake or doesn't follow through or says something and does the opposite, does mm-hmm. have white lie, that for me is a hard no, hard mm-hmm. no. And I used to make excuses for people. Oh, yeah. well, you know, it's just the thing. No, that's a firm non-negotiable for me is being in partnership or even having clients as well. And now I'm calling in only conscious clients. And that's what I've gotten because of that firm boundary that I have. So mm-hmm. that's a big one. For me, when deciding to work with people, I always thought to myself, you know, if you meet them for coffee or dinner or whatever it is, I would always pay attention to how they treat the servers or the bar staff or whoever it is. Because for me, how you treat everybody is an indication of how you'll treat everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're treating people that are serving you in a certain manner, then, you know, you're obviously treating me different because you want something from me potentially. Mm. And that was always for me a red flag. I mean, look, we all have days where we're short, you know, we have a temper, whatever it is. But if you're consciously always treating other people that are serving you in a, in a manner like that, to me, that was always a, hmm, that's interesting. You know? mm, that's such a good one. Yes. To me, what came up is unconditional. So it's like unconditional mm-hmm. kindness. It's not like mm-hmm. I'm going to be kind to this person because of this condition or circumstance or role that they have. They have unconditional kindness and respect towards others. That's huge. So your experiences in business, the partnerships, the unexpected you know, dynamics that developed there for you, you, know, you obviously pivoted from that, continued to build your business. And as you started to figure out that you needed people around to help you execute various components of your business. What was the next challenge that you had within your business to build that momentum? Yeah. So team is really important. And I really studied hiring on Upwork. You, have you used or heard of Upwork? I think we use it at one of our companies. I, I, I haven't used it personally, but I've, I've heard of it before. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Even I used it even when I was at Tower Paddleboards. That's when I first started diving into it. And I really got to fully utilize it once I was on my own and ready to realizing, okay, I need, I need support for some of this stuff. So I really created an applicant screening system, a hiring system on, on Upwork. Mm-hmm. And I love Upwork. Like I really have found some star team members from Upwork. And I still have like my longest standing team member is my head developer. Mm-hmm. And he has been with me since tower. So I found him in tower and he would help me with some side stuff. Wow. And he's been with me the whole ride. He's been there. Mm. Building team. I'm, I'm assuming as well with your business, your, your partners or pardon me, your partners, your staff, your employees, they're all over the place. So how do you, I was going to ask you, did the COVID world change your business? And it, <laughs> Not at all. It probably hasn't, right? <laughs> no, it's like business as usual for me. Uh, I have a big, it's something actually now that I'm going to be offering for my private clients, I'm a systems girl. So mm-hmm. remember I, I said earlier, I like to create order from chaos. Mm-hmm. That's like a passion of mine. Like I actually enjoy it. Whereas some people maybe don't. <laughs> I love doing that. So I've created all these systems and I've, I've done it for one of my larger clients already. Um, and it was really powerful. But for HR, I have systems for that. I have systems for content calendars and planning. I have systems for podcasts and releasing mm-hmm. podcasts and how we disseminate the media for that. Mm-hmm. So I have a, literally systems for everything. And I use Asana for that. I am, don't know what I would do without Asana. Asana is the tool for me for systems, organization, project management. I've created a whole custom solution with using Asana. Asana. So A-S-A-N-A. Asana. 
it's like have you heard of monday like monday yeah, yeah, um, yeah. or trello it's yeah. like those the project management software yeah. i've just completely like learned how to customize it and make it my own yeah. My whole team operates from it. It's like a virtual workspace. And then I use Slack for communication. Yeah, we use Slack at one of our companies. But Asana, yeah, we'll, we'll look it up. So it makes sense for your business because you have people working remotely all over the country, you have various different projects. But let me ask you this. For somebody who's either building or starting a business and they intend to have people working remotely, how do you build a culture? How do you keep people engaged? How do you keep them motivated if someone lives in New York and someone lives in Tucson and someone's in Thailand on a you know, month long trip. Like, how do you guys do that? Well, first thing first is you can create culture through Slack. So you really can't say so we have fun channels in there right? Um, that, you know, we can, we engage with everyone. We also have regular zoom meetings and those calls are really important. Like we connect on, like, for example, on our Monday calls, they go around and each of them say what they're grateful for at the end of the call. So that we're really able to connect on not just a business level, but also on a personal level. And this is like gratitude on a personal level. You know, they'll say all kinds of things. And it's really cool because you're getting to know them and you are creating culture through that. I want a culture of gratitude. That's a very important culture that I'm committed to creating in my team. So things like that. I am committed to creating a retreat once all this COVID stuff I mean, obviously right now that wouldn't really work out very well, but I believe either a quarterly or a semi-annual retreat would be awesome Mm -hmm. and doing it in different parts of the world and hosting that for my team. So we can have that in-person time because there's nothing that replaces in-person, although you can really get creative. And and like I said, through Slack, through Zoom meetings and structuring certain Zoom meetings, certain ways, you can actually create a really tight-knit culture. And I feel that I've been able to create that with my team and I'm very blessed. We played Jeopardy on one of our Zoom calls recently. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, I know. People found out how quickly uh, I was not qualified. <laughs> but, uh, but you're right. You can do all kinds of little things with your team. One of the things that uh, really caught my attention with with you and having you on the podcast here is, you know, you meet people that are in marketing or business development, and they don't walk their own talk. They don't have their own presence. So for example, with you, you've got, you know, following up upwards of 40,000 people on Instagram, you know, you've got your other channels dialed in, your website looks great. And, you know, you're really walking your talk. And I think that's what makes, you know, your culture, your, your team, it creates that environment for people. They see the leader taking it seriously. So they take it seriously as well. Well, thank you for that. That, that took me a while to get to that point. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm one of those... I don't know if anyone listening can relate. I'll put other people. I used to put other people before me and my clients before me. So you would look at all my client sites and my clients stuff and you'd be like, wow, that looks so nice. And then you go to my stuff and it wasn't. So it it wasn't Mm -hmm. always this way. I got a huge freaking slap in the face wake up call from Gary. That's who was like, (laughs) Ashley, what are you doing? Like you need to focus on your personal brand too. Like you Mm -hmm. need to step into the forefront. You need to create content. Like what are you doing? And he was right. He was absolutely right. And that was the exact fire under my butt that I needed. Mm-hmm. And so it means a lot hearing you say that because I was not always taking care of my personal brand. I was putting my clients before me and that doesn't work. You're absolutely right. We need to not just talk the talk. We need to walk the walk. We need to be the example. And by the way, watch out for 2.0 websites <laughs> launching soon. I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> Look, looking forward to that. So then question for you. 
obviously you have to progress and you have to scale towards that. So how did you stay motivated during those earlier days where you weren't as recognized, things weren't as seemingly easy? Like how do you get up every day and and get at it? What was the driver there? So there were days where I used to dread walking the whole 20 steps (laughs) to my computer. Right. But seriously, I would dread it. And what I realized, and these, this is one of the big lessons of mine that mm-hmm. I would love to pass along to your listeners, is I was allowing myself to be motivated by surface level things. And mm-hmm. surface level things are not deep enough to maintain motivation. An obvious one here is money. Okay, I had right. a client who was a six-figure contract, you know, and the money was great. Was mm-hmm. I excited about the work? Did I feel super aligned and inspired with the work? No. So I had what I call a surface purpose. You know, I had a surface why. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a why that lit me up inside. And so I would be exhausted consistently. I would wake mm-hmm. up dreading to go to my computer. So anyone listening, if you feel that often, it's a sign that it's literally showing you, hey, this isn't in alignment. This isn't exciting you. I only serve clients who are creating impact in the world. Conscious creators, conscious leaders, heart-led entrepreneurs. Those are my clients and those are my only clients. My big purpose, like when I look big picture, is Mm -hmm. I am for oneness. I'm a stand for consciousness, for oneness, for love. And if I'm able to support other conscious leaders, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs that are making a difference in the world too, that ex- only expands my impact and allows me to create an ev- even bigger ripple effect in the world. So once I got clear on all of these clients need to be in alignment with my purpose and what I'm doing needs to be alignment for me, then I stopped having that feeling. I got excited to come to work. I got excited to work with the people I was working with. It's interesting because the classic uh, question, how come you work so hard? And, you know, any entrepreneur that loves what they're doing, he or she's doing, will always tell you, I don't work. And that's when you feel like that alignment, that oneness. So from your perspective, then, as you gain clarity on the kind of people you want to work with, the businesses you want to do, projects you want to take on, how did you channel all of that and, and then build your audience, your following? Those would be the next steps to creating that eminence, that growth for your business. What did that next process look like? Well, for anyone who has sort of a fear of public speaking, doesn't like to get behind a camera, that was me. So, mm. you know, and a lot of people find that hard to believe. I promise you, those are facts. I was mm. petrified of public speaking. I was petrified of being behind the camera speaking. And so you've got to flex the muscle. I talk about this a lot. You've got to flex it. I mean, you've got to just start speaking. I mean, I did a transformational training that really took me to a whole new heights and made me, had me realize what was really going on underneath all of the surface fears that I was experiencing, like speaking all that. It was all deeper stuff that I needed to deal with. But then once I realized the truth about me, I really needed to start flexing the muscle of being on camera. So if you're creating your own personal brand and you're stepping out as an entrepreneur, you're going to need to step out into the light. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to start creating content and putting your brand in front of other people, which if you are a personal brand, that means you. Mm-hmm. So you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's what I had to do. I just started hitting that record button, hitting that record button. And, mm-hmm. and 
man, if you watch some of my videos from back in the day, you'd be like, it's very different, especially things like this. Like I don't get nervous for interviews. I don't have right. sweaty palms or whatever, but I used to be that way. I used to be nervous, but you got to push through it. So it's important for you. Even if you don't post the video, that's fine. Just start sitting down behind a camera, start talking to people, start join groups, right? Where you're practicing public speaking, because that's a really important piece of having a personal brand is you've got to be able to express yourself with mm -hmm. confidence, with poise, with certainty. My biggest tip would be to start flexing those muscles. What is the future of branding and marketing look like in your opinion? Because again, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast was because you started down this path years before people even figured out how to use social media. So, you know, people are aware of the, the Instagram and the Facebook and all the different platforms. Now we've been bombarded with how to go out and build a brand initially. What is the next three years, five years? Like where's the future going in your opinion? Well, in my opinion, you can already see it happening. There's a huge shift from you know business company brands to personal brands. Mm -hmm. People are connecting with people. It's a lot of you know C to C, if you will, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's person to person connection. Um, it's becoming more and more important to create mm -hmm. that because our filters are a lot higher these days. If you're hiding like behind a company brand name. It's like, you know, you know how that is. Like you just kind of trust this company, this advertiser, you know what I mean? Right. Versus a person, a human. So that's the first thing for sure. I think voice is going to also get bigger than we, we realize. And what I mean by voice is I mean like Alexa. I really believe that Alexa is going to take off in ways that we don't realize people can create apps in Alexa right now. That's something that actually Gary told me to do and I haven't done that yet. So I think voice is going to be huge. That's another prediction that I have. It, well, it's really interesting right now with the TikTok, right? Mm. I don't know if you've been paying attention to that, but I started going in on TikTok because I saw opportunity there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was one of the earlier ones in there and I built, I don't know, I think I'm like 11,000 you know, followers on there now. Now I'm hearing that it's being shut down. I think tomorrow is when mm -hmm. it's going to be Trump is shutting that down. But then you see reels coming out on Instagram. Okay. Mm -hmm. So why is that happening? Well, if you look at TikTok, it's short snippets, video. It's all video. There's no pictures, right? It's video. It's quick. Mm -hmm. You know, we, our attention spans are shorter than goldfishes. And it just keeps getting shorter <laughs> every year. It gets shorter and shorter. So I think that type of content is really going to really be important for you to get comfortable in creating is the content that's short, bite-sized, and video. Like Reels, which Instagram just released. And that's an example. It's I think the limit might be 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. That's really short to get a point across. You know what I'm saying? So we're going to need to learn how to communicate and get our message out quicker and quicker and quicker. And someone tell me once, uh, they don't want the pregnancy, they want the baby. I don't know what the context of the conversation was, but the point was that they wanted the outcome just like that. And mm, you, know, you don't yep. want the process, you just want the outcome. I think to myself, we're all attention deprived today and uh, time deprived and our attention is at a premium mm -hmm. and everybody seems to want a piece of it, right? What are some of the no-nos that you see in the online marketing space? Like you're on the platforms and you must look at other people's stuff and go, no, like, no, honey, no. So what are some of the instant no's that you're seeing out there? Yeah. Well, one big one, and I, I speak about this very passionately, is when I go to someone's website, 
And I'm, I'm speaking mostly about personal brands, but this is also companies. You can actually apply this to companies as well. If you go to someone's website and as soon as you land on it, it says the title of the person or the title of the company. Let's say business finance coach. Mm-hmm. You've lost them because you're making it about you. Mm-hmm. It's not about you. It's about who you're serving. It's about them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when someone lands on your site, think about it, right? If you just think, what does that look like? Well, it looks like me right now. I'm one person. I open up my browser. I am looking with my eyes and I'm consuming what's in front of me. Me, right? right? Not you, me. I'm doing that. So mm-hmm. the biggest mistake I see is personal brands and companies aren't speaking to who they need to be speaking to. They're just like, ha, I'm a personal coach. I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that. No, it's what can you do for them? A benefit-driven statement that speaks directly into their desires, what they want, what they need, and also into their pain points so that they feel understood. This is what they're, you know, I, I get it. You're struggling with this. Are you struggling with this? They feel understood. So you must speak to them, not make it about you, make it about them. That's the number one thing. Even in Instagram profiles, I see this. Mm-hmm. You've got to start with a benefit-driven statement that is directly to your avatar. So let's just say you're a mortgage broker, a financial planner, or you, know, you build decks in Oregon or wherever it is. How do you say that in a way where you don't sound like everybody else? First, I can guarantee you that everybody else isn't realizing that they are not branding for the consumer, but for themselves. Right. So you'll already be ahead of the curve that way. So let's just mm-hmm. put that out front because they're, they're not. Like I'm telling you, this is a mistake I see all across the board, especially mm-hmm. in outdated industries. Like I'm mean, saying, not outdated. I call my dad is in real estate, okay? I call the industry like kind of a dinosaur industry. I don't mm-hmm. mean to offend anyone when I say that, but just because they're typically the last to adopt new technology, these mm-hmm. kinds of industries, right? Because they're really stuck to their ways of doing things that have worked for so many years. That's the first thing I'll say is you'll be innovative in that way and you will stand out right away because you're doing something that a lot of them aren't doing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is you really, I survey, like survey your best past clients. Like I really ask them, what, what were you really looking for when you came to me? And like, what was the biggest benefit that you felt when you worked with my company? Like, what did you feel? Like just surveying them, you know, and you can Mm -hmm. offer something for that or whatever, but I've surveyed you know, you'll survey your audience and they'll tell you, they'll say, well, I remember I was struggling with this and I came to you looking for this. Or, you know, I felt that you really did a great job in, in hearing me and making the process seamless. Notice the key words they use. If, they, if you keep hearing seamless process, if they keep hearing mm-hmm. easy, like listen and look for the key words that are repeated and use that in your benefit-driven statement because then you're mm-hmm. literally taking the exact verbiage, language from your client's and putting it in your statement so that when new clients read it, they're like, this company's in my head. This is exactly what I say that I want. And they're saying it to me. They're feeding it directly back to them. So that's the best way to come up with that languaging is really surveying and, and auditing your current clients and also doing research if you're brand new. You can research, look at blogs, look at YouTube videos where people are commenting. You can find so much online these days and to see what people are looking for and what they're saying. Assume that individual, that plumber, that mechanic, that uh, you know, influencer, they've built their brand, they've done everything. How do they then maintain that information without it getting stale? Like, How do you stay relevant? And keep in mind, they're not going to spend 10 hours a week updating their content. 
how do you keep your communication from looking like some of the websites that are still out there that you can tell they were put together on an Atari computer, right? Well, you got to invest in it. So I always say, focus on your zone of genius and, and you're worthy of support. So if social media content creation and websites ain't your thing, Mm-hmm. That's okay. Like it doesn't need to be your thing. Just quit trying to do everything yourself. So invest in someone who can be on top of those trends and be on top of that for you. Of course, if you're just starting out, yes, where you'll need to be sort of a jack of all trades for the time being until you kind of start making enough money to start hiring out. But yes, you absolutely stuff, especially things like social media, that's moving so quickly. Unless you're in it, you're gonna want to hire someone who's in it. You know what I'm saying? And your website. That's my recommendation. Every two mm-hmm. years, update it. You know, websites don't move as fast as social media does, mm-hmm. right? Every two years, you should be updating your website in some way. But in terms of like content and like copy and creating blogs, things like that, you can create new content all the time if you really had someone to support you with that. If you had a blog writer, someone who could create fresh stuff like these podcasts, like what you're mm-hmm. doing, this is fresh every mm-hmm. week or whatever, you're coming out with new stuff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the people that listen to the podcast here are entrepreneurs, business owners, some of them have sold a few companies, some of them are just building their first company. You know, they're going to listen to this podcast and they're going to think to themselves, okay, I want to build out that part of my team. You know, we talked earlier about the importance of team and having the right people on board. What are some of the things that you know, they should look for when deciding to really invest in that social media presence or that marketing presence? What are some of the factors to look for? you know, your business, that's what you guys do. You're in that world and you, you see the gamut of the different providers out there. When you're looking for the right partnership model with business, what are some of the key things that you should be looking for? Personally, when it comes to stuff like social media, there's a lot of people who, and I'm just saying this coming from a real place that put up a big front and you've just got to be careful because in the social media game, especially if you don't understand it, you could get suckered into some things that aren't going to support you in the way that you would hope. How do you solve that? Well, what you said before is important. Are they walking the walk, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to look at things like, for example, if you have somebody who says like, I'm going to support you with growing your Instagram account, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to grow to this, this, that. Well, get a reference, get some past clients that they've done this for, and look at theirs. And when you're looking, you need to pay attention to things like engagement rates, comments. Mm-hmm. How many comments are they getting proposed? Because you can buy fake followers. Yes, Instagram's cracking down on that, but it's still happening. People mm-hmm. are buying fake followers all the time. And so you want to make sure that you're looking at things like engagement rates and comments and like really looking to see like, are these bots? Like, are they real followers? That's one thing, right? So do a little of your own investigation. And then secondly, like for me, I always suggest referrals for this sort of thing. Because Mm -hmm. trust is huge. Again, that's my core value, right? So if there is someone, if I know someone has a really great brand, and I trust that person, it could be someone that doesn't have to be a friend of mine, just someone I respect and admire, Mm -hmm. ask them, reach out and say, Hey, who do you have supporting you right now with your social media? Because you Mm -hmm. see it's working, right? And you trust that person you're asking because you respect that person. Mm -hmm. And ask. Because that to me is, is a trusted reference and you actually see that it's working with someone you admire. Fair enough. You make it sound very straightforward, actually, when you yeah, put it, it that way. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it, the reaching out people thing, people don't do that. You know, they're not. Right. But that's a, a really great way to do it. Probably the best way, in my opinion. For the people that are listening to this podcast or watching the video, when you're looking to determine 
okay, I'm going to invest 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, whatever amount of money into this platform. How do you assess, you know, a return on your investment? Like, how do you do that? Is there a way to, you know, they call it monetizing your customers, your leads? What is a good sustainable way to look at that? That's a really great question. And it's, it's one that actually gets asked a lot because there's no direct way to measure. But a great way to measure is your DMs. So for example, one of my clients, Julie Surratt, if you look at her Instagram, we worked with her for quite a while in creating like IGTVs and just really great high quality content so that we mm-hmm. could establish her as the thought leader that she is. She just wasn't portraying that on her social. So we were really establishing her as a thought leader on social media. And she started getting more DMs of people saying, hey, can you tell me more about this? Or I saw this video, I loved it. And they're actually interested now because she's established herself. So that's one thing. If you're noticing, start keeping track of as you're investing in social media support, start seeing like, note how many DMs you get today, like Mm -hmm. direct messages of people asking about your services and what you do Mm -hmm. and being interested in you. By the way, it's not immediate because remember, you're building rapport, you're building connection. Social media is not an overnight game. Social media Mm -hmm. is a long game. You're building connection with people. So I call social, you know, it's a Mm -hmm. social setting. I would look and give it about, you know, four months of consistent effort on your account, putting out consistent content and then check four months later, where is your DMs at? Instagram does provide you statistics like, you know, website clicks and things like that, which you can also measure. I also like to, when I start working with a client, we'll actually create like Julie, she had a quiz that was like a lead magnet. Mm -hmm. So we started promoting that lead magnet. So then she can see, right, she's getting these leads from social media from now promoting that on her social. Mm -hmm. So those are ways, unfortunately, there's no direct way. But Julie, like has told me, she's like, I've gotten clients that have turned into $10,000 contracts from the DMs now, Mm -hmm. which is amazing, right? Mm -hmm. So so that's what you got to be paying attention to. The followers don't mean much. Followers are more of a credibility thing. Mm-hmm. So like Julie was really clear that she wanted to be past 10K. So we got her past 10K followers. That's just because she wanted to be able to do swipe ups and really create a credibility with the people who came across her, her profile, which is important. Yeah. But yeah. after that mark, what matters is that you're putting out quality content that establishes you as a thought leader and authority mm-hmm. in your industry and that you're responding to actively uh, communicating and being social in your DMs and with your commenters as well. For somebody who's running their own business and has five employees, 10 employees, how do you make the engagement authentic without tying up the owner himself or herself? They need to study your brand. So that's part of our service. So I have copywriters that are specialized in this that will study your tone of voice, will study things that you would say that you wouldn't say, um, will study certain languaging and words that you tend to use. You use a lot of exclamation points. You use emojis, right? Like they study you so that they can actually respond in a way um, to represent you. Again, it's representing you. A lot of people know that anyone who is not full-time on social media as their job, like they're not an influencer, that typically they're having support. As long as the team member is clear on your voice and is clear on the way that you speak and studies it, you need to give them at least a week to two weeks to really study you so that it's in integrity with who you are. They're not responding and saying things that are out of alignment with what you would say. If someone's listening to this podcast and thinks to themselves, you know, I want to invest time into this, I want to invest energy into this, at what point should they go from trying to sit there on their phone and put this together themselves to 
looking at engaging with a firm like yourself? That's a self-worth value thing. So Mm. when you're just starting out in entrepreneurship, you've got to think about how much money you're making for your time. You've got to create a time value for yourself. A, I guarantee you it's not your highest and best use. Unless you really are passionate about social media and you actually have fun doing it and you feel like you're good at it. Okay, sure. Great. Awesome. I know some entrepreneurs who are like that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, One of my clients, Jenna Sophia, was that way. She liked doing it on her own. But if that's not your thing, that's not your zone of genius, it's not your highest and best use, and you're actually making, you're raking in the dough, you're actually making good money, that's when you invest. Because Mm -hmm. otherwise, you're diluting your time and you're diluting your power and your effectiveness as the business leader that you are. And again, you have to really calculate what you're worth based on what you make. Like you get a dollar value see how much time you're spending on social media. Mm-hmm. Okay, so really, this is a quick way you can do it. Get your dollar value of how much that you're worth per hour based on what you're making. How much time are you spending on social media per week, mm-hmm. per month? Then create a year value out of that, right? That's how much, at least minimum, you can invest in social media. You know what I'm saying? Because that's your worth. You could be spending that time so much, you could be doubling your business with that time. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? But you've got to be willing to invest at that point, especially when you're making money so that you can be more powerful and make more money and impact, not be diluted by doing those sorts of things. I got to ask you one more question. I know we're going over time here. Are there any businesses that don't make sense for social media? Like I'm sitting here, I'm thinking like, why would a lawyer want to do it? Why would you know a doctor want to do it? Like, are oh there- God, no. To be a personal brand on social media, to be an quote unquote influencer, you need to be able to express your uniqueness via video and and these media formats, right? You've got to express. I have a girlfriend who is a lawyer. She is a powerhouse, man. And on top of that, she's loud. Like if you're at dinner, you hear her voice. You know, you can be at a table of 30 people. You'll hear her. That's her, right? And she's a lawyer, super powerful, very smart. She would be perfect. Like, think about it. Like, she she could really create some awesome content for people who don't know certain, for example, let's see, legal risks of what they're doing. She could create some really, really great content around because she specializes in business law. So she could create a lot of great content around that. And she now finally, like two years later, took my advice. And now she is just creating her account. So Mm. Absolute Lawyer would be a fantastic one because you can create some really controversial, you know, because they're a lawyer, they know what they're doing, but they could create some really great controversy is what really um, is magnetic for content. It, mm-hmm. it attracts and it repels. And that's a very magnetic field to be in, um, in in terms of like the content you create. Doctor, same thing. Doctor, there's a dentist. I'm going to have to get this name to you after the show. And I want your listeners to go look at him because I met him in New York. And he has built, I think he's got close to a million on Instagram. And he is crushing it, man. Oh my gosh. He has like, celebrities coming into his office now, like big celebrities that are on TV and like they're coming in. So absolutely, that that is a big fear-based myth is that, oh, you have to have a sexy industry, you know, a hot industry to be on social media. No, I did that with the freaking loan company. Okay. They were like, Ashley, you know, we're not, a, we're not a paddleboard, sexy paddleboard company. Okay. Like I know for you over there, like it made sense to be social media, but like we're a financial services company. Like it's not the same. I'm like, oh yeah, watch me. I ended up totally creating a blog that soared and everything was, you know, so yeah, absolutely. I'm going to bust that myth every time. 
<laughs> I like it. So Ashley, if people want to learn more about uh, your marketing agency or your story, I noticed you've got some incredible content on your website. How do we go and do that? Yeah. I mean, ashleyhan.com, that's my website and that's H-A-N-N. And then my social media, that's where I'm at. That's where I hang out all the time. Uh, so that's ashley.h-a-n-n. I do respond to all my DMs. I have not given that over to my team yet. So I eventually <laughs> I will, but I, I have fun on social. I'm one of those yeah, people. Like, yeah. I have fun doing it myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I really appreciate you making the time. Uh, this has been uh, fantastic. Building a business, scaling a business, building a brand, especially post-COVID, you know, in this post-Zoom world where everything's remote, this now more than ever, if, if you're not online, people are literally not going to come to your store. You may not have one. This is the future now more than ever. Mm -hmm. Time to innovate. Love it. Ashley, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. 